Luke 10, verse 1 through 24. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your own of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have pented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades." The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but the spirits are, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this is your word to us, your love letter, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the opportunity that we can come before you and pray. And right now, we just lift up the Atkinson family, in particular, Becky, who's in ICU. Lord, be with uh, the doctors and the nurses and those who are trying to figure out what's going on with her. And and Lord, we just pray for a miraculous healing. Uh, Be with Bob and his family. Just again, give them strength to love and serve Becky in any, any way that he can. Just be in a presence there for his dear wife. Lord, again, just thank you for this opportunity to lift one another up in prayer. And Lord, what we have not, Lord, we pray that you would give us. Uh, What we know not, Lord, we pray that you would teach us. And what we are not, Lord, we pray that you would make us. By the power of your Spirit, informed by your Word, and encouraged in community. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm going to kick off with a question. If you knew you only had a couple months to live, 
How would you live those last couple months? How would you spend your time? What relationships would you invest in? Who would you want to go spend those final months with you? And what would you want to accomplish in those in that time? Well, this is the situation that we find Jesus. Jesus is on a, on a tail end of his ministry. He's in the final months of his life. He knows this. In Luke chapter 9, he has set his face towards the cross, towards Jerusalem. He knows he's going towards his death. Therefore, he gets focused. He dials in. What does Jesus do? He goes into teaching mode. He goes into teaching mode, and in particular to his disciples and those in his circles of influence. Those are going to carry the baton of faith after he is resurrected and ascended to heaven. He goes into teaching mode about the most important things regarding the kingdom of God. Now you can summarize uh, chapter uh, 1 through 9 in Luke's gospel as Jesus' works. He comes on the scene and he and he does things. Yes, he does teach, but but mainly he's showing people that he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He has the authority on high to go and uh, make his uh, disciples and, and build his kingdom. It, one through nine is Jesus works. And then we look at 10 through 24. He's going to slow down. And what we can see is we can we can categorize this as Jesus's words. Jesus's words. He, he, there's a lot more red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, Jesus, there's a lot more red letters in, in 10 through 24 than one through nine. That means Jesus again is going into teaching mode. There are things that he wants his disciples and those who follow him to be about the ethics of the kingdom of God. This is what he wants proclaimed and this is what he wants lived out. And it's not only for those disciples back then who he's talking to, then, but it's also for you and me today. If we name the name of Christ, chapters 10 through 24 is written to you and me. And we need to pay attention. We need to learn. We need to digest. We need to meditate on the words of King Jesus. And this morning, the, the kingdom of God ethic that is highlighted for you and me is that we are called to be faithful laborers. Faithful laborers and not lazy loafers. Faithful lazy laborers and not lazy loafers. Look at the first point. Jesus sends His faithful laborers. Jesus sends His faithful laborers, Luke 10, 1 through 16. And we're going to spend, just know this, we're going to spend the most of our time in this first point. So there's three points, so don't freak out. You know that we're going to spend most of our time here. But look at verse 1. After this, after what? After what has just transpired in chapter 9 primarily, that the, the finally the disciples, they get it right. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the Savior. And then you see the great power on display in the Mount of Transfiguration through healings and the casting out of demons. And then you, you count the cost as what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And now we're about to get the mission that Jesus is going to get us, that we are called to be faithful laborers, that we're called to be faithful evangelists to those in our circles of influence. Now, this is very similar to what Daniel taught in Luke chapter nine, verses one through six, where Jesus sent out his 12 disciples. They sent them out together. Um, and here what we see now is that Jesus sends out not his 12 disciples, but this other group, this other group of 72 
Uh, now, some of your Bibles might say 70. There's some kind of debate on scholars on is it 72 or is it 70? But it, the number doesn't really matter. But we see that these 72 are sent out by two by two. And Daniel, again, taught on that a couple weeks ago. So I'm not going to spend much time in. In other words, what again, Jesus reminds is like there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need one another, in particular, when we go out to evangelize people that we need to go out in pairs. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says two are better than one. Why? Well, for accountability, for encouragement when the road gets hard, for friendship. Uh, you might struggle. You need someone to come alongside you and help you out for protection, for protection. For validation of the message, we need one another. So Jesus sends the 72 out. Now, the question is, well, well who are they? Who are the 72? What, what do we know about the 72? Well, we don't know much about the 72. In fact, we don't know anything about the 72. All that, that Jesus sent them out. We don't have any idea who they are. We don't have any names. We don't know what they did. They're just ordinary followers of Christ like you and me. Followers of Jesus who stepped up when they were called, answered the call, and did amazing things. The Lord did amazing things through them. Now, I don't know about you, but that brings me hope. That, that brings me an excitement that Jesus used these no-name people, these men, these women, and He used them for to build His kingdom. The Lord did great things. He gave them the power just as the twelve had to go out to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God, to heal the sick. It's intentional that Luke puts this list, these 72 in Luke chapter 10, right after Luke chapter 9 in ascending out of the 12. Why? Well, yeah, we, we, we expect the 12, the 12 that Jesus put on the leadership team that will then become apostles. We expect them to go out and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. But what Luke chapter 10 tells us is that that's our expectation as well. We have the same mission as the twelve. To go out and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. If they're doing that, then we are doing that. So we are appointed and sent out, not only like the disciples, but get this, even like Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself was even appointed and sent out by God the Father. Since the beginning, God the Father is always an has been ascending God. He, he wants, as we sang in the song, He didn't create heaven for it to be empty. He created heaven to fill it with His people. Those who bear the image of God. And since Abraham, He called this pagan Abraham out of Ur to go to this promised land, Canaan. He says, Abraham, who was then Abram, I am sending you to be my messenger. And through your lineage, through your legacy, I'm going to show the world who I am. So I'm sending you, Abram, to the world. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when he had that great revelation of God in the throne room, God opened up and gave Isaiah that moment in time where he was in the throne room, the very presence of God. And the Lord said from his throne, who shall I send? And then he gives that great Trinitarian language. Who shall go for us? Who shall I send? Who's going to go for us? Who is going to be the prophet that I'm going to send to the people? And Isaiah said, what? Here, here am I, Lord. Send me. And then we come to Jesus in John 20, 21. Jesus said this, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I and now sending you. 
And so just as we are sent, we are sent just like Jesus. He goes before us. He never asks us to do something that he hasn't done already. He shows us the way. He is ascending God. And this is the third relational value of the crossing. We want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's our vertical relationship that informs our horizontal relationships, that we live in gospel community. That's Christians living with one another. But we also want to leave a legacy with those who don't know Jesus. So we are sent to the world. This is rooted in who we are here at the crossing. We want to leave a legacy. We want to be sent on mission. So now do we want to love God? Now do we want to live in gospel community, be encouraged by one another. But we also want to take the message of the gospel to those who need it. And Jesus then looked at Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Jesus then commissions them with an encouraging statement and then two commandments. Look at verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, this is a very familiar verse for all of us, but this verse is packed with meaning. Uh, Jesus is using an uh, agricultural illustration that they would have really grasped back then. And, and though we're not in the agricultural culture, we, we can still understand what Jesus is saying about the harvest being plentiful. He's saying there's a, there's a great harvest of people that He is going to harvest, that He's going to save and bring into the kingdom of God. But He needs laborers. He needs messengers. He needs those that are going to go out and do the work of the ministry. He's going to use those by the means in which He brings people to Himself. And here's the cool thing. We get to look back on 2,000 years that this verse has been quoted, read, meditate on it. We have seen this verse come to life by the millions and millions of individuals that have come to saving faith in Christ, that have been harvested by Christ. In fact, you and I are fulfillment of this statement. Just think about that. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. You are part of that harvest when He says it's plentiful. And He used people in your life to bring you to saving faith in Him. You are in this verse. I am in this verse. And here's the good news. The harvest is still plentiful. The harvest is still ripe. The harvest is just waiting to be harvested by you. And by me, the means in which the sovereign God has chosen people by his will to come to faith in him. He uses you and me as the means in which to harvest those people. The harvest is still plentiful. So listen, if you have been saved. Then Jesus puts you on the sent team. If you have been harvested, you are now a harvester. You have a mission to play, and that is to go out and share the good news of the gospel verbally and then also live out the implications of the gospel in your life practically. It's an incredible thing. So that's the encouraging command. I mean, the encouraging statement. Here's the command. There's two commands here for us as laborers, as faithful laborers. The first is to pray. The first is to pray. Look at Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, this verse, this prayer has been on my phone since 2009. When the Lord called me to come and plant the Crossing Church, I put this verse in my phone. And every single day 
since that day in, I don't know, March of 2009, I have been praying this verse. Now, not every day I've been praying it, but it's popped up in my phone every single day. I want you to think about it. That's 14 years times 365. That's over 5,100 times this verse has come up in my mind or shown. Outside of the prayers of my wife and the kiddos, there's never, there's never been a verse that I have or an ask or a prayer that I have earnestly sought the Lord for than this right here. To pray earnestly, to beg the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Why? Because I knew in and of myself, I'm powerless, I'm useless. It's the Lord of the harvest that's going to build His church. It is His power, His strength. It is His message that's going to bring people to Jesus. And the Lord has answered that prayer. Since we were officially launched in 2010, we've had thousands of individuals come through these doors. You are an answer to those prayers that we've been praying for for the past 13, 14 years. But here's the deal. Just like the harvest is still right, there are still more prayer to be done. You and I still need to pre, uh, uh, seek the Lord earnestly. We need to be praying to the Lord of harvest to bring in more to the kingdom of God. we got thousands more to go by God's grace. And it's going to be your prayers that the Lord is going to answer to help bring that to pass. Your prayers to the harvest to bring the laborers. Let me ask you, what have you been begging the Lord for? What have you been earnestly praying to the Lord for? Maybe you have a family member that needs healing. Maybe you have a wayward son or daughter that you need to come back to the faith. Maybe there's some financial needs that you need met. Maybe it's a spouse, a partner that you want to have for the rest of your life. Guess what? Those are good. Keep begging the Lord for those things. But then also add if you haven't already. Add Luke 10.2. Beg Him earnestly to send laborers out to reap a great harvest. And those laborers are sitting in this room. Those laborers are first and foremost you, not someone out there when you pray that. The laborer is you, so put your name to it. Lord, who do you want me to go to? To be used by you to bring in this harvest. So pray earnestly. I mean, think about it. What might the Lord do if everyone in this room, 250 plus, whatever, everyone in this room would start saying and praying this prayer every day? What, what might the Lord do if every single one of us, 10 o'clock, were reminded to pray to the Lord of the harvest? I'm going to let you guys do something. I'm going to encourage right now. Take out your phones. Put this Luke 10.2. Put this reminder in your calendar right now if you want. And start to pray that. Will you join me? Will you join me in praying to the Lord of harvest to grow His kingdom through this church? We just had a pastoral retreat a couple uh, last weekend or a couple weekends ago. And we just had this. We were talking about it. We were visioning a little bit. What the, might the Lord do? What might the Lord do in the next couple years? What might the Lord do in the next 10 years? And we're going to roll some of that stuff out here in the next couple months. But we're excited about what the Lord is doing. He is moving in this church. He is moving through you and me again to build his kingdom. So that's the first we pray. Second, we go. We, we pray, then we proceed. 
where the Lord of the harvest might send us. Look at verse three. Go your way. Go your way. It should remind us of what? The Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Different word, but same meaning that that we are to go out in our circles of influence. Some of us, that means we're going to go to cross seas, over the seas missions. We're going to be overseas missions. But primarily for everyone in here, it's go to where you live, to where you work, to where you learn, to where you play. And so you are being called to go to your circles of influence and to take the gospel. Pray about sending the laborers, which is you. And then, Lord, where do you want me to go? You go to your circles of influence. And here's the thing about evangelism. It, sometimes that can be overwhelming to some people. It's like, oh, I've got to have the right formula. I've got to say the right words. The most strategic way that the Lord uses to bring people into the kingdom of God is through your lifestyle. It's through relational evangelism, lifestyle evangelism. It's not in a cool little saying. It's not in some formula. It's you living out and proclaiming the gospel. That's the most productive way that the Lord brings people into the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's natural to you. You, you go on living your life how the Lord has wired you and gifted you in the places that He has put you. It's natural. You don't have to create an event. You don't have to create something where people come to you. You go to where the people are. You go to your school. You go to your work. You go where you, you know, to your favorite restaurant. The holidays, the special events, the barbecues. You just bring you and the Lord will use you in your life, in your words. Why? Because relationships cultivate love. Friendship, shared life experiences. Uh, the Lord will put you, knowing you're a Christian, around others that do not know you, and you might be walking through a trial, and they're going to look at your life, and they're going to see how you attack it. And yes, you might be devastated, and yes, you might be hurting because it's a difficult trial, yet you're going to have this peace that surpasses all understanding. And they're going to look at you and be like, man, I know what you are going through, but I can't put it together why you have a peace. Why is your life not falling apart like so-and-so? They're going to see that. And they're going to say, like, what do you have that I don't? We shared this before a number of times. My wife didn't know Jesus. And when my mom passed away on Christmas Eve, she was looking how my family handled that. And, and, and we were devastated. But at the same time, we had this peace because we knew she was in heaven. She loved Jesus. We knew she was in heaven. And Rita, again, who wasn't a believer at the time, said, on my best day, I've never had the peace that Aaron has on his worst day. And the Lord used that to bring her to saving faith. And the Lord will use you to bring others to saving faith through relational evangelism. Listen, we have seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith through this church, through the Crossing Church since 2009, 2010. And I can't think of one that has come to faith that wasn't connected relationally to someone in this body. I can't think of one. That's powerful. Everyone that comes to faith in this body comes to faith because they're connected to you. You have an incredible influence over those in your circle of influence, and Jesus wants to use you. And He's going to use you. Look at verse 3. It says, go your way, relational evangelism. Behold, I am sending you. Now mark that. I am sending you. Those 
Those of the 72 that are being sent out, they're sending out as his ambassadors, his laborers. They would have been equated with Jesus. I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and no greet no one, and, and greet no one on the road. It means stay focused on the mission. Don't get sidetracked. Go, go to these cities that I'm about to go to. You are my forerunners. You are my ambassadors. You are going to be the ones paving the way. When people see you coming, they're going to be no like Aaron. That guy represents King Jesus. He's coming my way. Now, some commentators believe that Jesus is saying, when you go out, as it says, as lambs among the wolves, they're saying, like, don't be aggressive. Don't be evangelists that go and beat, you know, beat the gospel over someone's head. Don't be that. That's what wolves do. Be like a lamb. Be like kind and respectful. And it could mean that, but I think there's something even more going on here. Something even greater. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's putting his power on display and our need, our dependence on that power for provision and for protection. That Jesus is our great shepherd. And he oversees us. And as John 10, 28 says, when we go out to minister to those in this world, that there is hostile forces out there against us that want to steal, kill, and destroy, he will provide for us. He will protect us. He is the good shepherd. And as John 10 said, nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Nothing can harm us. Again, the context, what is happening Jesus in his final months in his ministry, pretty soon he's going to go to the cross, he's going to die, he's going to be resurrected, and then he's going to send to the Father. Physically, Jesus is not going to be with the disciples and these 72 out anymore, physically. He's up in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. So I think what Jesus is doing right here is showing that he's a good shepherd, whether he's physically present or not. He will provide and he will protect you, even in the months... The wolves, no matter what the enemy throws about you or throws at you, I will shepherd you. I will guide you. I will direct you. It's about dependence on the great shepherd. Dependence is a state of relying on or needing someone or something for aid, support. It's our reliance on another. And what Jesus is showing right here is like, I am a dependable shepherd. You can depend on me even though you don't see me. Even though you can't touch me. It's the same truth for them as it is for us today. Listen, we walk by faith, not by sight. And I think Jesus setting the pavement. He's, setting the, he's, he's giving us the, the roadmap to what is about to take place for these disciples and these apostles and these others that are going out. He's not going to be with them, but He is going to be with them. He will protect them. I love what Hudson Taylor says. He says this, All God's giants have been weak men and weak women who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Do you think about that every day? That God is with you? Do you remember when I went through Nehemiah? Nehemiah had this great vision that he was going to go do for, for God. And do you remember the, the, the two verses that really stuck with Nehemiah that propelled him to go do that? In Nehemiah chapter 2, right before the king, he says, and the good hand of God was with me. He understood God was with him. And it propelled him to do great things. It's the same for you. It's the same to me. We are dependent because we need provision, but we also need protection. And we need protection from these wolves. Now we know who are these wolves. These are spiritual enemies in this context. Uh, uh, spiritual enemies that are going to come against 
of those of us that, that love Jesus. And sometimes we know that wolves are going to come out as ravenous wolves and we're going to be able to spot them right away. But sometimes they're going to come as lambs, right? Or wolves in sheep's clothing. Matthew chapter 7, beware of these false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but really are vicious wolves. Now, this would be good for us to think about as we go out, as we are the laborers in the field, as we are sent to our circles of influence, as we come across others, because there are several type of wolves out there that want to try and harm you, that want to try to discourage you, that want to try and sway you away from the truth of the gospel. There's moral wolves out there. Self-righteous wolves out there. Uh, These are the legalistic wolves. They want to try and yoke the bondage of the old covenant, the laws on you and not to walk in grace. So there's there's those kind of wolves. There's self-righteous wolves, the older brother kind of wolves. There are theological wolves out there. There are theological wolves out there that want to persuade your thinking on what you believe to be true. They want you to question the virgin birth. They want you to question the resurrection. They want to question what is a man? What is a woman? They want you to question on God's design on marriage. These are theological wolves that are trying to, again, dissuade your thinking. There's emotional wolves out there. There's emotional wolves. They know how to pull your heartstrings. They know how to pull your heartstrings. It's called the experiential hermeneutics that we talk about it in theological circles. It's like they take the scriptures and they they. They interpret the scriptures through their feelings, through their emotions, and not through objective truth. And they don't let scripture interpret scripture, but they let their their feelings interpret scripture. And that can take you down a path that is going away from Jesus. So these are some of the wolves that are out there. Think about some of the wolves in your life. Think about some of those in your life, those those moral, self-righteous wolves. Maybe those theological wolves, those emotional wolves that are trying to work in your life. What Jesus proves to be the good shepherd. Because none of these wolves can snatch you out of his hand. In Luke 22, we're going to see this in a couple weeks. Jesus says, he reminds the the disciples and those that he sent out. He says this, he says, when I sent you out with no money bags, with no knapsack, with no sandals, did you lack anything? You were dependent on me. Is there something that I did not provide for you? And they said, nothing. We were provided for. And then Jesus sends them out again. And this time he sends them out with knapsacks. He sends them out with money backs. In fact, he sends them out with swords even. And I like the apostles because one of them says like, hey, there's one sword, but there's two swords. Can I take two swords? And Jesus said, no, just one's enough, right? So it's not about the things that you have and the things that you don't have. What it's about is your dependence on the Lord. When he sends you out, your protection, your provision, your dependence, again, isn't on the stuff you carry or don't carry, but on the good shepherd who provides you. That's the thing that strengthens you. That's the thing that encourages you. That's the the, the statement, the truth that propels you out to be bold as lions when you go to your circles of influence to share the gospel. We see now that these wolves, the reason why they want to devour you, the one that why they want to discourage you is because you have a message to proclaim. It's a message of peace. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of hope that those in your circles of influence need to hear. Look at verse 5. It says, Whenever, whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And the Son of Peace is there. Your peace will rest upon him. 
But if not, it will return to you. In other words, go to these houses, knock on the door, share the gospel of peace, the message of the kingdom of God. And this message of peace, again, they are seen when they knock on the door, they were seen as ambassadors. So this is more than just a cultural greeting. Peace be with you. It's more than a feeling. But the peace that they're preaching is a person. It's, it's a person. In fact, it's, it's fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 that we celebrate during Christmas, right? That Jesus is what? The Prince of Peace. That Jesus is the one who has come. He is peace. So peace isn't in a feeling or an agreeing. It's in a person. And that's the message that they are proclaiming back then and then also today. And again, notice again the relationship. It's relational evangelism. Discipleship. This is the context in which we are sent out as faithful laborers. We go to people's houses. We, we, we go and have dinner with them. We, we eat their food. We drink their drink. If they're, if they're sick, we pray for them. And Lord, He might even heal them through us. And so it's a word ministry. We're proclaiming the, the gospel of peace, but it's also a work ministry. We're there to serve one another, love one another, and meet their needs. Again, look at verse 7 and Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. Look at verse 8. Eat what they provide. Now, sometimes that might be for you and me doing something or eating something that we might not think is edible, right? And I got a couple pictures here. Like if you go, yeah, if you go to do ministry with Jess Gardner's parents down in Ecuador, this is one of the great meals you're going to have. It's guinea pig. Who's, who, who's ready for some guinea pig, right? Look, look at the next picture to show that uh, what we got up here. There they are. Getting ready to mash some guinea pig, right? Now, here's the funny thing. Peyton, uh, far, far right, right, far right. He said, man, I'm excited to eat this guinea pig. Then he, then he sees the guinea pig and he says, oh, I don't know. It's looking at me. I don't know if I could eat it. <laughs> Sometimes that's going to happen, right? So you might have to go to another country and you might get that, but it does happen in our own context. I was doing a wedding with a couple non-believers. We and I will marry two non-believers because it gives us a chance to share the gospel of peace with them. We take them through the same premarital that we take Christians uh, through. And so we go through the scripture, we go through the gospel. What a, this is what a husband looks, this is what a woman, uh, a wife does. This is what marriage is all about. And we share the gospel in, you know, five to, to seven weeks with them. And I was with Jacob Lees, Jacob Lees. I wish he was sitting down here because you would see the response. We're doing the rehearsal. It's been a long day. I don't know. I was tired. And I'm like, man, it's rehearsal night. You know, so we're going to have some this great meal. We're going to have some steak, some great Italian food. And I'm like, Jacob, man, I am starving. And he says, well, we're going to go to this restaurant. I'm like, I never heard of that restaurant. He goes, it's an all tofu restaurant. <laughs> And Jacob, he, my faith just my face just goes like, you know, I ate a guinea pig, you know. It's just like, oh. But I was a good trooper. I mean, he said, you can have some tofu steak. What is tofu steak, you know? That's, that's like saying a crash landing is good. It's not good. You're crashing. And I ate it. I was like Gollum eating bread, you know. I was like, meh, meh, you know. But we got, we got through the night. Again, sacrificing for the Lord. But again... Again, the, the point is, is that we have preferences. We have things that we like and we don't like. 
And God is saying, like, sometimes he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to have you step out of that box and, and engage in, in, in something that might be uncomfortable with people that might not look like you. They might not talk like you. They might not act or dress like you. They are still creating the image of God and they are still ones that need to hear the gospel of peace. And so go out and share it because there's a there's a real reality that those who reject the gospel of peace. Jesus gives us a sober reality of that. He said there are going to be some that are going to reject it. And this is what you are doing. Again, this happened in Luke chapter nine. You as well as here, you go into the streets and you wipe the dust off your shoes. And again, it's just a physical illustration of a spiritual judgment because of the rejection of Jesus, because of the rejection of the, of the peace of God that comes with the gospel. There's judgment against you. There's judgment against you. And so the, the thing is still repent. The, the, them wiping, knocking the dust off their shoes is showing them like you guys have still the opportunity to repent, still believe in Jesus, still accept this. So still do it. Again, Jesus is the message of peace. And if you accept it, you receive the peace with God and the peace of God. But if you don't, you'll get justice or you'll be punished. So Jesus says, there's two responses to me. Peace or punishment. Which do you choose? A couple weeks ago, I shared about this bumper sticker. I thought it was a good bumper sticker. Most Christian bumper stickers are terrible. But this one is a good bumper sticker. And I butchered it last year. I couldn't think about it from memory, but it's this one. You've probably seen it before. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace, right? No Jesus, N-O. No Jesus in your life means you're N-O. You'll have no peace in your life. But K-N-O, Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you will K-N-O, no peace. And man, that sums up the gospel. When you see that bumper sticker, that's a gospel message. And that's it. And that's our desire. Our desire is for our friends and our family to know Jesus. Know the message of the gospel of peace. Jesus goes on and gives this sober, again, warning. In verses 12 through 16, I'm going to summarize this here. It says, those who receive a greater revelation will receive a greater judgment. That's what's happening here. Uh, cities like Chorazon and Bethsaida and Capernaum. This is, Capernaum was Jesus' home base for ministry. And so what Jesus is saying here is like, these people, these cities that saw me in the flesh, that heard me teach, that saw the miracles that I did and the healings that I personally did, those cities are going to have a greater judgment than those in the Old Testament, like Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon, that I didn't hear the message but heard it from the prophets on what was to come. On the fulfillment of those things that was to come. So those that heard the message of gospel for me, those that had a greater revelation, there's going to be a greater judgment. And that's the same for us today in the United States of America. Outside of this time with Jesus being physically present on earth and saying and doing these things, there's no greater time when we've had more information about Jesus and the gospel. We have the Bible written in so many different languages. Uh, we have sermons out of sermons off of sermons and sermons and videos. We have archaeology. We have scientific facts about Jesus. There's no greater time where we've had no more revelation than right now as a pope. This is for your friends. And this is for your family. This is for my friends and my family. There's going to be a stricter judgment for those that reject Jesus now 
than even those maybe even in Jesus' time because we have a greater revelation. I shared this quote by Spurgeon a number of months ago, but I'm going to share it again because it's so true. Again, we are called to be faithful laborers of this truth and not lazy loafers. And Spurgeon said this, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them, begging them to stay, come to Jesus. And let no one perish, listen, unprayed for or unwarned. It's exactly what Jesus is saying. We need to be praying for those that do not Jesus. Then we need to be the feet, the harvesters, the means in which Jesus is used to harvest them. So this morning, be faithful, be a faithful laborer, not a lazy loafer to your to those you love. To those you love. You know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You have the message of the kingdom. Share it. Share it. So first, he sends out his faithful laborers. Second, Jesus' encouragement to his faithful laborers. Look at verses 17 through 20. Verse 17. The 72 rejoined, uh, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, I want you to imagine that. They're sent out. They come back. And they've had this success. I mean, just a couple days before, you know, these are just the individuals going throughout their daily routine. They're, they're going to work. They're coming home. They're eating dinner. They're washing dishes. You know, they might be catching up on, you know, Moses and the Exodus on Netflix, you know, catching up on that series. And then they're going to bed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus sends them out and they have the authority of Jesus. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're seeing people cross over from death to life. They're healing the sick. This authority, they're experiencing the Lord of the harvest. And Jesus is not shocked by their, by their response. He reminds them, hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And the enemy, Satan, and his influence is waning and has no staying power because I am here. I am bringing the, the kingdom of God back to infiltrate this world, the prince of darkness. And I'm giving you my authority to to bring back the kingdom. You are the means in which I'm going to bring back the kingdom. So we are to rejoice and every time we see victory over the kingdom of darkness, we are to rejoice in particular when we see people cross over from death to life, when they receive the gospel of peace, they repent and believe in the gospel. We are to rejoice when the enemy comes against you in your life and he throws out that hook of temptation, whatever it may be, and you don't give into it. You don't give in to that sin. You stand your ground in the power of the Holy Spirit and you turn away from that sin. There should be rejoicing in your life that the Spirit is working in your heart. That time you do sin, that time you do fall into that temptation, you are convicted. The Holy Spirit brings you back in humility through repentance. You confess that sin. That's a time of rejoicing because the enemy is not getting a foothold in your life. In all those things, in everything that we do, we should be rejoicing. But there's something even greater that we should be rejoicing in. And that's in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not only rejoice in these things, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. This is the point here. Just as those that were sent out their ultimate rejoicing is not in what they did or what we do for Jesus. What's what Jesus has done for you. 
what Jesus has done for you. It's his life, his death, his resurrection that empowers you and allows you to go out and be a good ambassador, to be a good harvester. And so ultimately, when we look back to the foundation, to the power of who we are and what we do, it's because of what Jesus has done first and foremost for us. I love how one says it. He says this, through the grace of God and his choosing us alone, our names are written in the heavenly registers. You see, there's going to be a day of judgment and we're all going to stand before King Jesus. And when I go up there, I'm going to stand before him. He's going to say, bring me the book of the Lamb. And he's going to open up that book and I'm going to be in the front. A-A-R-O-N, right? A-A-R-O-N. So I'm going to be right in the front and he's going to open it up. And by God's grace, my name is going to be in there. And what's it going to say? It's going to say justified. It's going to say forgiven. It's going to be say heir of King Jesus, a son of the king. That's what it's going to say. And that's ultimately why I'm going to rejoice. And not in what I do for him here and there, and what I don't do, but what he has done for me. This is why I rejoice. Let me ask you a question. Will you be rejoicing with me? Will you be rejoicing with me? Is your name in that book? The Lamb's book of life. How do you know it is? You know it is if you repent of your sin and you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Will you be joining me on that day? My prayer is that everyone in here will. Third and finally, we see Jesus rejoicing in the Father's sovereign will. Verses 21 through 24. Now we see, rejo- we see Jesus rejoice. Not only are the, the, the ones sent out rejoicing, now Jesus is rejoicing in the Father's sovereign will in choosing those whom He will be saved. Listen, those who are chosen, those who are picked by God, are those who walk in humility like little children, as it says here. Rather than those who walk in pride, who walk in their own wisdom, who walk in their own understanding, who say, I got this thing called life. I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need a Savior. I'm not, I'm not a sinner. I, I got this. I can get to you. No, you can't. It says the Lord will hide the truth of the gospel from that person. From the one who is prideful. The one who hears about the saving grace found in Jesus and who says, no, thank you. I got this on my own. I love what C.J. Mahaney says in his book, Humility. I read it a number of years ago. This is what we use in Pastors Leadership Institute. One of the main things that we want to we want to be as men and women of humility. Peter says, put on, the, 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 put on humility each and every day. And this is what he says. In 2 Chronicles 16, it says, the Lord goes throughout the whole earth. And He's looking. The Lord is looking to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards Him. So the Lord is right now looking throughout this whole world. To, he's looking for those to give support to, to bless. And Isaiah 66 says this, this is the one that I will look upon, the Lord speaking. This is the one that I will look upon, the one who is humble. That's number one. And we talk about humility here. Again, we're talking about spiritual humility. We're talking about a brokenness. We're talking about a humility that looks inside and sees that we can't do it on our own, that we need a Savior. We need King Jesus to come and save us. Listen, humility draws the gaze 
and the blessing of the all-powerful sovereign God in your life. Humility draws the gaze and the blessing of the all-powerful sovereign God in your life. This is why Jesus is rejoicing. And we see in verses 23 and 24 that the disciples are getting a front row seat to this. They're blessed to see this. But not only are they blessed. I'm going to close with this. Now it's our turn. I want you to look at this little phrase in verses 9 and 11. The kingdom of God has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Wherever the ambassadors went, the kingdom of God was near. And now we look back on this side of the cross and the resurrection. And not only is the kingdom have come near, but the kingdom is here. And you and I are ambassadors of that kingdom. So wherever we go, as a faithful laborer to proclaim the message of peace, the message of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is there. Jesus is using you to harvest more image bearers to Him. So let's be faithful laborers. Amen? Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for uh, this reminder, a verse that we are all familiar with, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We are called to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. So Lord, we pray right now that each and every one of us, first and foremost, is a laborer. And those who are not, Lord, that they would today be the day that they would be saved, that they would repent of their sin and trust in You. And for those of us that have done that, Lord, that we would see and be reunited by this message that there's a mission to be fulfilled. That we are called as sent out ones, laborers, to those that we love, where we live, where we work, where we learn, and where we play. And so, Lord, empower us by Your Spirit as we go and have those conversations through our lives, as we experience life with one another. Lord, let those that do not know You see that there's something different about us. The way we live, the way we walk and talk and walk. Lord, soften their hearts. Let them receive the message of peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.